0: Scripture reading is Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write, them, I write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the Word of God. In the spirit of vulnerability, as Joseph shared with us a bit, I, I need to say this has been a week for me. Um, I My baby girl got sick last week, baby Emma. It was just sad, coughing. Um, one of those things where nobody was sleeping because you could hear her up crying at night and um, Betsy and I were taking turns all night, and then one after another, I got sick, and then Henry got sick, and then Pierce got sick, and what happens in my family is when everybody gets sick, we all, you know, we're just kind of like, well, we'll just might as well embrace it, and we all sleep in the same bed, which is not good, because nobody sleeps, right? I wake up at 4 a.m., it's just limbs everywhere, and like, I find myself trying, you know, in a time when I need sleep, because I'm battling this illness, it seems like things just sort of compound and get worse. I, I have a A Fitbit that I wear to bed. It told me I looked at this morning what my sleep grade was for the week. I have a D plus. I didn't think that was a thing. Um, Not a good grade. Uh, I average a a B minus. So you know I got to get get my sleep grade up. So I'm I'm here tonight. I'm alive. Um, I'm going to try and get through this without getting into a coughing fit. It's been a bit of a battle, but I think we'll be okay. I've got a short sermon, so it should be good. Um, this is, this could be a long sermon, let me say that, there's so much in this passage, and so here's what I'll say, if, if, you, if you feel like I'm shortchanging you tonight, I would encourage you to come on Sunday, because Stan's sermon will look nothing like mine. We're actually focusing on two very different parts of this passage, and so there may be a little bit of repetition, but for the most part, if you want like a, you're like, that was good, I'd like part two of this sermon, check out Stan's sermon, it's going to be awesome, that'll be on Sunday. Um, this letter, if you notice, as I read it, uh, this is the sixth church and this, like the church in Smyrna, if you remember that church, that was the church that, uh, was, was speaking to martyrdom. Okay. Like that church, there is no rebuke in this passage. This is a letter of encouragement and you're going to see why, because it'll make my bad week, um, look like nothing. When we look at some of the stuff this church has been through throughout the years, they have been through the ringer. And so we see in this passage in the very beginning, um, Jesus opens up with this line. He says, these are the words of him who are holy and true, okay? So when Jesus says these he's right, John's writing the letter, but it's Jesus speaking to the church. He always speaks sort of in this third person, okay? He, the one who is holy and true. I don't know about you, um, but I find finding the truth these days to be more and more difficult. Whether it is regarding vaccine information, whether it's revolving um, whether we should wear a mask, not wear a mask, right? Everybody has their own opinion. And here's, here's what's challenging, right? I got a podcast from one guy says, hey, listen to this, it'll change your mind. And I got a podcast from another guy saying, no, listen to this, it'll change your mind this way. And they all cite all these scientific studies. I'm like, how do I believe, how do I know what is true? Today, I turned on the TV. I went home for a little bit to be with my family, and I was just curious. So there's that trial that's going on right now uh, up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's really interesting. I checked first Fox News just to see what they were saying. I'm like, oh, it looks like he's going great for this guy. Flipped over to CNN, and it looked like it was going terrible, right? I have no idea what to believe or how to discern what is true in our world, and maybe you've sensed that sometimes as well. But here's what we have. Jesus opens this letter saying that he is both holy and true. He is a reliable source of truth that I believe our culture has a strong appetite for. In a culture that often dives into chaos, I believe that there is a longing for a stable ground and foundation of truth. And so he says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who hold the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. This is the passage you're going to hear Stan preach on, this idea of an open door. So if you want to hear more about that, come on Sunday. You can hear more from Stan or watch online. What I want to do briefly is sort of do a little backdrop into what was happening historically uh, in this city. So Philadelphia um, was actually founded by King Attalus, who was up, lived in Pergamum. We talked about that church a few weeks ago. Um, and the king loved his older brother so much that he was nicknamed Philadelphus. Okay, that's where the name comes from, right? If you're familiar with the Greek word phileo, okay, that's a Greek word for love. One of the Greek words um, that used for love is phileo. That's where Philadelphia comes from. Now, this, um, <clears throat> this city is near Sardis, okay? It would be like uh, comparing uh, Wichita to Andover walking distance, okay? So it's, it's not too far away from Sardis. It was located on several major trade routes, and the most important thing is that it was actually built on an active volcano, right? So there, there's, there's all kinds of volcanic activity throughout the area, which meant the soil was a great place to grow grapes. And because of that, what, what this place was known for, what Philadelphia was known for, was like uh, creating incredible wine. They were like the Napa Valley of ancient Turkey, okay? They were creating amazing wine all throughout the area. Now... Um, i got a picture here to kind of give you some perspective. There's some of the ruins. You can see sort of the mountainous terrain, but you can kind of see in the back there, there are those vines. There's probably where they're growing grapes and whatnot. You can kind of see that sort of landscape all throughout that city. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, Philadelphia came under Roman rule in 133 BC. The dominant uh, god of that that city was um, uh, Dionysus. Uh, We have a picture of him, actually. Yeah, there he is. He's got grapes in one hand, a chalice in the other, right? He was kind of the, this, this God who liked to party, right? He was the God of fertility. He was the God of wine. He was the God who sort of had this reputation. And in the same way, this was sort of the, what represented this city of Philadelphia, is that they were a city that was full of life. Now, where things got a little interesting is in 17 AD, there was a massive earthquake. Okay, and uh, this was during the time, um, you know, during the time of when uh, Jesus walked the earth, he would have probably known about it. Okay, he would have known about the earthquake. Um, We learned last week that Sardis was actually affected by this as well. One historian said that aftershocks from this earthquake actually happened for years following this massive earthquake. And what happened is it sort of created this sort of mass anxiety. So people would actually leave the city And they would make tents outside of the city for fear that one of these tremors would knock a wall down or knock a building down and smash them in their sleep. So a majority of the city would actually be camped out outside of this protection of the city out of fear from these tremors. Imagine living in that anxiety. Now the uh, Roman emperor Tiberius, who was the emperor during Jesus' time, Um, remember i talked about this last week but he extended five-year tax cuts okay church of sardis got these tax cuts as well and because of this this city was so grateful for that that they actually built a temple in his honor and they changed their name of their city from philadelphia to neo-caesarea okay and just as they were finishing the rebuild of the city so imagine five years of rebuilding this city all the work it would have taken There was another earthquake, massive earthquake in 23 AD. Now, do you remember 2020, the little earthquakes we kept getting in Wichita all the time? Like, I remember I was sitting in my office and I literally jumped out of my chair. I thought there was an explosion in the church. It was scary. Um, I'd wake up in the night to feel these little earthquakes. I thought it was the end of the world. But at the end of the day, I saw this meme going around. you know, which earthquakes we will rebuild. This kind (laughs) of defines the fact that as scary as they were, they really didn't cause a whole lot of damage. So I don't know that we can compare our experience to what they were experiencing back then. But I want you to imagine, for example, not just picking up a chair, but you spend five years rebuilding a city only for it to be destroyed again. Had to be completely demoralizing. The reality is this. It's amazing how quickly... Nature can destroy in an instant what takes years for humans to build. We are no match for the power of what nature can do in destruction, and that is a part of the world that we live in. I remember a couple years ago, it was like eight years ago actually, we, we were driving with, I was a staff member from Eastminster, and uh, we went to Joplin, Missouri, where a while back these tornadoes ripped through there and really devastated the city. And it had been two years since the tornadoes had hit, and we were taking pictures because it was still completely destroyed in many places, two years after the fact. That's the reality of what can happen, right? When nature takes course, it takes time to rebuild. You've got to remove debris. You've got to rebuild. You've got to um, find new places to live. It can be a completely devastating thing. So you've got this process of rebuilding and destruction and rebuilding and destruction. And, and with that... Um, there's the beginning of Nero's reign, okay? So this happens a little bit later. They changed the name back to Philadelphia. So not only, not only are they having to rebuild the city back and forth, but they don't really have an identity as a city. They're changing their name back and forth, back and forth. In 70 AD, another earthquake hit. And then in 92 AD, under the Roman emperor Domitian, who is the emperor who is in charge during the writing of these letters, Um, he puts a decree out and orders half of the vineyards. I don't know why he would ever do this, but half of the vineyards to be destroyed. And so they had to destroy half of these vineyards and replace them with grain. And so once he did that, what they came to find out very quickly was that the soil was very conducive to growing grapes, but it was horribly um, made to produce grain. And so their economy crashed. It was absolute devastation for their livelihoods. People ran out, lost their jobs. There was an economic uh, destruction that took place in this city. So you can imagine what's going on, okay? Not only do you have the threat of the empire that all these churches are facing, because Domitian is a crazy psycho. We talked about him a few weeks ago. But you've also got um, the fact that you've experienced tremendous loss, economic downturn, You've experienced a loss of identity. This group of people have been through the ringer. The city was literally and figuratively shaking at the time this letter was written. And in this cultural moment, Jesus looks into their situation in their community, says, my encouragement to you is to persevere. Honestly, I think they're probably too fragile for a rebuke. (laughs) It's like they've been through too much pain. For Jesus to say, this I have against you would have been too much right? And so Jesus instead brings this word of encouragement. Now, um, full disclosure, I'm in week six of my Greek class, and so all I am doing right now is like looking at Greek words, and so I'm going to do a quick nerd session. We're going to look at three Greek words, but I promise it won't take long, because this is going to really help us understand this passage a bit more. Um, Verse 10, okay, says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Okay, the, Greek, the word in the Greek here that's important is the word it's using for persevere. And the word, uh, to sort of pronounce it in, in, English, word, in English terms, is hoopamon, which means to remain under the weight. It's to remain under the weight. To imagine being pressed down from every side, every angle to be attacked from no matter where you are, and to hold under the pressure and not break. That's what that word means at its core. Jesus is saying, you have been pressed at every angle in every way, and I see how tired you are. He literally says that at the end of the passage. I know you have little strength left. Persevere. Don't give up. I am coming soon. Verse 11 says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I love this. A more literal translation of that is to hold fast, to hold fast. The Greek word in this this situation is krateo, which means um, to seize or to hold on. The image that I would use to describe it is like if you are holding on to a rope and you're on the side of a mountain and that's all you have, you are holding on for dear life. You need to hold fast because if you let go, you're going to fall. And so Jesus is saying, hold on, hold fast, do not give up. You have so much tenacity that I, I see you. You're holding on and you're not giving up. You're not letting go. And I want to encourage you in that. And then lastly, in verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Oh, this one's my favorite. Uh, in verse 12, the Greek word here for victorious um, actually comes from the word in Greek. You may have recognized it, Nike, okay? Um, I've got a picture here. This is the goddess Nike, okay? And if you notice in her hand, she has it on her head, and on her hand, she has what looks like a crown. Okay? Um, this is, we're going to come back to this crown, but Jesus is actually going to refer to this crown in a minute. But you, you take like the Nike swoosh sign is maybe the most popular logo um, in the entire world. It's one of the, uh, it's simplicity. It really captures the essence of their brand. It was actually designed by a college student for like $35. Um, and it, it's, it's really an, an incredible logo. Uh, but Nike um, it really defines what it is. So, so she's holding on to this this little thing you wear around your head. It's like a crown, and it was used. It's called the victor's crown. Okay, it was used at what their version of the Olympic Games, and it was a really big deal. If you were to win an event, you would get the victor's crown. You even see this uh, modern pic- depictions of this in our modern day Olympics, um, and so this was this idea was if you win the race, if you are able to to endure and win, you will get the victor's crown. Here's what I want to point out. Like Paul often does, Jesus is using athletic metaphors purposely. Okay? He uses these metaphors because they, they sort of paint a picture for us of what he is trying to tell his people He is saying that the Christian life is like a race. You are competing, you are enduring, you are practicing and training for this moment when you are going to feel like quitting and giving up. Hold fast, don't stop, finish the race because I am coming soon. Paul writes to 1 Timothy, um, writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who have longed for his appearing. Paul uses these metaphors. In fact, in 1 Timothy, he says, I want you to train, right? He uses that athletic term to train in talking about his spiritual life, and so we see these metaphors. about faith being like a race. And in order to win a race, especially a distance race, it requires endurance. It requires a certain tenacity, a, a willingness to hold fast under pressure. There was this race in Nigeria. It was a 10K. Um, and what made this race super special is, if you know anything about that, that area, uh, between Kenya and Nigeria and some other spaces are some of the best athletes in the pla- on the planet. You often see uh, Kenyans running, winning marathons. Um, These are the people who are like, their jog um, is faster than my sprint, right? They are incredibly fast and in great shape. And so it is a super hyper competitive race that takes place every year. I think the winner of the last like 10 Chicago marathons, all but one have competed or won that race as well. So it's a very well-known race. And there's this certain athlete, his name is Kenneth Kip Kamoy. And towards the end of the race, he had been running really well. He's gonna finish in the top five. And as he's running, maybe you've seen this video, but his legs buckle underneath him. And so he can see the finish line. It's not far, it's maybe 20 feet away, but his legs buckle. He collapses to the ground. And at this point, people start passing him one by one. But he wants to finish so desperately. So he reaches out his arms, and he tries to pull himself towards the finish line, but his legs, even his, his, his quads aren't working. So he tries to get on his side and roll all the way to the finish line. And even then, his body isn't letting him do it. And then something really special happens. I'm going to watch this clip real quick. It's a really powerful scene i love the, the moment when you see people pass uh, that runner who comes from behind and he doesn't really care it's a brilliant beautiful moment of compassion here's what we must keep in mind and i think one of the big things that we often miss when we read these books when we read these letters is that Jesus, when he's writing these, these exhortations, when he's giving these encouragements, he's not writing to individuals, but he's writing to communities. And we often don't think like that because we're wired to think differently about our, our, ourselves and the way we exist in society and culture. But in this time and place, these are written out loud to churches, communities. So this church would have heard this as one. We don't run the race, the Christian race alone. We were never meant to. And if we think that's what it is, we've missed the point. You see, we belong to communities of people. All of you belong to this community. And beyond that, we belong to a greater community in the faith. This image is an image of a community carrying one another to the finish line because there is no way they're going to make it on their own. And if they try, they will fail. It's about carrying one another to the end. The man who stopped in the race, his name was Simon Chiprot. He actually won the Chicago Marathon a few years ago. Um, he said this in, in an interview following the race. He said, "My father once told me, if you see a man on the side of the road, you must stop and help him." That's what he did. That story or that quote reminds me a lot of a, a story Jesus once told, where someone was laying on the ground dead and beaten and one by one people ignored him until one person had the compassion to stop galatians 6 2 says carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of christ i would ask you tonight and this is sort of my my main idea tonight is whose burdens are you carrying and do you have people in your life who are carrying yours are those things that you keep privately? Are those things that you sort of repress and don't talk about? Are they things that um, you, you feel maybe lonely in the sense that you don't have people who can carry those burdens with you? Do you have a community that you feel like can help carry you to the end of the finish line? One of the things about our church is that we are a fairly big church. I know our Thursday night gathering is pretty intimate and I like that, but um, we are a big community. And so one of the ways we try to meet that need is through our Grow Groups. And these are groups that meet, some of them meet in home, some of them meet here on campus. But I just want to extend an invitation. If you sense that you're longing for a more intimate community of of believers um, to to do life with, to go through challenges with, to be able to meet regularly, I'd encourage you to get in touch with me. Uh, Ben Marquez actually runs our Grow Groups. You can find all that on our website. Um, But I would encourage you to get plugged into a group because I think that's a great way to sort of have that kind of community that goes beyond sort of the the shallow pleasantries of being at a worship service and saying, hi, how are you doing? It takes that to the next step. I would say this, if that's you and you're interested in that, know this. There are people in our community who both need you in their life, and I think that there are people in our community that you need, even if you haven't met them yet. And so I encourage you to take that first step because that is so necessary uh, to be able to live this Christian life. Jesus says in verses in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. You can hear Jesus' pastoral heart here, right? And he says, I know you have nothing left. Like you have a little bit of strength left. And with that little bit of strength, you have kept my word. You have held fast. And I'll close by reading verse 12. He says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. One of the lines I love there is he uses this image of a pillar. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. That's the image that Jesus leaves us with. I wanna show you a picture of modern day Philadelphia, okay? You'll notice the only thing that's left are the pillars. And they're massive, Right? This is actually from uh, a church, the Church of St. John, from the 6th century. Okay? Those pillars today. You can go and visit uh, modern-day uh, Philadelphia. It's got a new name. I sh- should have wrote it down. I don't remember what it was. It's an A. Um, but you can go visit it and check this out, and it's still here. It's, it's one of the most uh, one, number one attractions because it's been there for so long. The only thing left standing after the earthquakes, after everything this city has been through are, in fact, these pillars. Jesus is using that word because he knows that what remains after chaos, after earthquakes, after pandemics, after you name whatever might shake this world, what remains are pillars. And he's calling the church to be pillars. It's the one thing that remains in the end. It's interesting. They would actually specifically build these pillars, design them so that if the ground were to split, if it were to move in a landslide, if something were to happen, that they would remain strong. It was meant to be earthquake proof. This is what God has called us to be, the church community to be, to be a community that isn't shaken by whatever is thrown our way. We're going to face times uh, throughout church history of persecution, times of blessing, times when things are abundant, when we have money and resources, and times when we are poor and in need. But God has called us to stand firm, to hold fast, to be like these pillars in the midst of the most difficult seasons. So Jesus says to you, to me, to our community, He says, take heart hold fast, persevere, because in the end, if you do so, you will be like these pillars. For those who have ears to hear, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one may take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word to the church in Philadelphia. I pray that we would take your encouragement and wherever people walk in life, whether they are in a season of of plenty or maybe in a season of lack, a season where they're longing for things they don't have. Wherever people are in this room, Lord, I just pray that they would hear this encouragement to hold fast, to persevere, that we would sense your presence no matter what we're walking through, no matter what struggle or burden that we bear, that we would know that we don't have to bear these burdens alone, but that there is a community of people who want to carry them with us. Help us to know how to be that community to others. Reveal to us spaces where we can be a better community to to one another, where we can feel more united and together. Lord, we hear your invitation for that and we want to respond to it. We want to be pillars. We want the church to hold fast in seasons of plenty and seasons of loss and to remain faithful to you through it all. It's for your beautiful name, I pray. Amen.